0: Curriculum, a podcast where we read our way slowly through the Columbia University Great Books List. I'm David Grubbs. I'm recording from Houston, Texas. You may know me from the Christian Humanist uh, Podcast or Christian Humanist Profiles or um, my interlopements on various other shows on the Christian Humanist Radio Network. Uh, joining me in conversation today are two other regular hosts from network shows uh, Danny Anderson of the Sectarian Review. How are things in? Crescent, Pennsylvania. Crescent, I Pennsylvania. Right? Good, good yes. memory. <laughs> I finally, got it right.
1: Even people from Crescent don't remember Crescent. No, um, <laughs> um, no, it's great. Um, actually, it's very lovely. We're recording just below or just before Christmas, like, um, and our, the weather is just spectacular. We, we had some a really weird ice like snow storm. But then it got really, it's like mid-30s, beautiful sun. Those trees are still like glistening with ice. It's just like, a, 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 it's magical. I love it. This is like a, one of the most beautiful winters I've had so far. It's an actual winter wonderland. It, it really is. I was driving through the mountains this weekend and I'm just like, I almost drove off the road. It was so gorgeous.
0: Wow. The white Christmas everyone else is dreaming of up in, <laughs> up in lovely Crescent, Pennsylvania. Also, Coyle Neal of the City of Man podcast. How's Bolivar treating you?
2: I mean, based on the weather here, I would guess we're recording sometime in like early summer or late spring. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, 60s and uh, yeah, it's it's awful. As, as someone who grew up in the mountains uh, in the north, I, I miss the cold, especially this time of year. So I'm a little jealous, Danny.
0: <laughs> well, you can come yeah, visit. Want, we yeah. we all want your white Christmas, Danny. Um it's been in the I don't know like forties fifties here, which is which is winter for Houston. Um, you see people bundled up in like puffy coats and stuff. <laughs> it's, it's it's hilarious. Uh, it is so 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 funny. As soon as it drops below really seventy, you start seeing sweaters and parkas. Well, today, in addition to the weather, we're also talking about. <laughs> Uh, the topic of season two of uh, Core Curriculum, which is Plato's Republic. This is the third episode in that series, and so we're working, working through it one book at a time, and book three is what we're on today. Lots of stuff going on in this book, um, as there are in pretty much all the books. Um, if Socrates were one of my freshman composition writers. I would return this paper to him uh, with the command to write a coherent outline. (laughs) Uh, But it begins with this presumption that we have uh, understood and followed with what comes before. Like literally the first lines are, such then are our principles of theology. (laughs) So e- either of you want to take a swing at what are the principles of theology he's assuming we know? <laughs> I don't know. I didn't. I didn't ask if you. I didn't ask you to read book two, but I wondered if curiosity drove you. Well, I, it's been well, years. So Coyle's the political philosopher.
1: So I'll let him.
2: I'll let him. Yeah. So, it. so, so there there are principles of theology, but that's that's not how he's using it in book three. Right, so we can we can we can go into those if you want to, but really the the, the bigger point is that uh, uh, what we're teaching about the gods uh, is is going to be what's critical for for shaping the leadership of this this best society, right? right. And and it's things like the gods never sin and the gods never uh, do awful things. Uh, so we we don't want to be teaching Homer and Hesiod and, and these other kind of epic poets that everyone's familiar with. I mean that's that's kind of the the. Uh, the the lead-in point isn't so much the substance of the truths about the gods as it is look we want to make sure that uh, what we're teaching is actually morally upright stuff, uh, which which yeah. is then what he talks about in in book three. So, uh, uh, yeah, um, it's it's been a while since I've looked at book two. I don't know if I'd want to get more specific than that without going back and reviewing.
0: I book two I ended up being influential with uh, early Christian writers, um, right. and I and I think. Also, some uh, some Jewish writers before before Christ um, found that this discussion about God being uh, perfect, whole, unchanging, um, dispassionate—not that God doesn't have a disposition towards things that happen in the world, but that the world cannot alter God's disposition—all um, right. of those—all of those kinds of things—he builds off of. Uh, So it's no gods as bad examples, no gods transforming into animals and chasing ladies, but also that kind of unity and harmony and completeness within within God, which leads me to wonder, uh, he keeps referring to various gods and sort of tipping his hat towards Greek piety, and then he substitutes as his theology something that doesn't look like anything I've ever seen in any other source about Greek
1: religion. <laughs> yeah, he talks about capital G God.
0: And this is a question I've always had about Plato, like
1: what, yeah. what that stands in for. I mean, because someone who's just not studied in philosophy um, I'm sure this is sort of like basic principles for those people who are, but um, like what, when he uses capital G God um, as some sort of overarching uh, sort of organizer of the Greek pantheon. Like, what is exactly he talking about?
2: I mean, I think the idea is at this point they're they're sort of moving towards monotheism. Uh, I'm I'm okay. not uh, up enough on on my kind of anthropology of earlier Greece, uh, but uh, mm-hmm. uh, that that's certainly what I was taught uh, okay. when I was taking this stuff in an undergrad. Is that Plato is kind of the the transitional point from that more classic polytheistic uh, maybe not full-on Homer this is what the gods are type thing but uh, that that uh, idea of uh, there there are multiple gods out there to uh, something more like what we'd see in the Aeneid where there there's really just one God and all of these other gods are like manifestations of the one God mm-hmm. um, uh, or at least but behind the Aeneid I mean obviously there there are different gods in the Aeneid also Um mm-hmm. Again, I don't I don't know enough about Greek religion to, to work that out too much. And and honestly, that may be 20 years old at this point, because uh, yeah. it's just been that long. I, I don't know if I don't know if that's what they're still teaching or not.
0: Yeah, I I heard something similar to the, the idea that, you know, the, the sort of boots on the ground Greek farmer, you know, the guy harvesting olives, he's going to believe in Zeus and Hera and Ares and Aphrodite and all the rest of it. But you're initiate, right? You're your high class educated person is going to sniff at those, you know, toys and fables of children, but instead look towards some kind of more, I guess, philosophically pleasing ultimate, Mm. um, which it's, it's difficult to read something like the Odyssey and see any of the Olympians as a really worthy philosophical ultimate. Um, Plato seems to be working in that direction, so no stories about God, but also no stories about gods that are that are bad examples, and which is where Book Three starts. So he starts off by banning um, or or saying that uh, his guardians. Um, he's talking about. So I guess that's one thing to say. Um, he's talking about the education of those who are responsible for sustaining and defending the political unity and security of his imaginary city. So it's not every citizen. It's just, I guess what, like the, the, the the aristocratic warrior class, something like that. Guardians, right? The guardians. Yeah. 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 Um, they are the ones who are getting this very limited, um, truncated, censored, bowlerized mythology so that they may never see any idealized examples of bad behavior so a lot of it has to do with feelings <laughs> <laughs> so I, what what kinds of feelings does he not want guardians to feel and do you really want your political class incapable of these feelings
2: <laughs> um like fear of death. I mean, they're 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 not just the political class, right? They're also the, okay. the military.
0: Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah.
2: So uh, so this is uh, I guess we're we're not. At least I don't think we're quite to the philosopher kings yet at the beginning of the book. This is the, uh, yes. uh, it is the aristocracy, but it's a, a pretty wide-ranging aristocracy. And, and it we, we shouldn't even call it an aristocracy, because uh, <laughs> later in Book 3, Plato is very clear, this is not hereditary. Right, uh, this right. Is, uh, it, it may very well be that you're a philosopher king and your kid is a craftsman. And... That's, that's neither good nor bad. That's just the reality. And you need to acknowledge yeah. that. Uh, so, so yeah, we, we don't want them fearing death because these are the guys who are going to be charging into battle. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's not, I mean, it is about feelings, but it's about sort of properly tempered feelings. Right. And that, that's where he gets into that discussion of, uh, of, of poetry and, uh, uh, recitation and why it's so important that they be reciting the right sort of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, because uh, uh, and I, I think this is interesting and I'm not entirely sure uh, not entirely sure what I think about this right but the the idea is uh, that when you are reciting poetry you're you're supposed to be kind of into it right you're, you're supposed to be mm-hmm. really uh, really uh, uh, moved by the thing you're reciting so it's it's not supposed to be like when we were in, elementary school uh and reciting the pledge of allegiance where we just all kind of drone along and get through it and no one cares like you're you're really supposed to by the end of it you're supposed to be chanting you know usa usa because that's <laughs> that's that's how into this thing you're supposed to be or yeah or you know for for uh uh plato's time you're supposed to want to go out and kill trojans or whatever whatever they're they're reciting <laughs> uh, uh so so socrates or plato's problem with thats that uh, is that, uh Uh, when you're doing that with Homer, what you're into is the gods doing all of this awful stuff, right? So you're, you're getting excited about Zeus seducing, you know, married women, uh, in the shape of a, in the shape of a bull or, or, or whatever. Right. So, uh, Mm -hmm. uh, we, we don't want people who are shaped by that because eventually that, that repetition and that investment becomes a reality, Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I mean in one sense that's obviously true right uh, uh the the more you uh the more you practice something the better you are at it uh mm-hmm. so if what you're practicing is really awful stuff uh, at some point you're you're going to be uh you're going to be doing those awful things even if only internally at least that's 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 sort of how I was reading that is uh it, it's yeah. it it is it is about feelings uh but he's focusing more on the the proper shaping of feelings right he's he's mm-hmm. not Quite to what should properly shaped feelings look like yet, uh, I'm I'm always a little disappointed by both Plato and Aristotle on uh on music and poetry because it it does seem to be a variation on rock and roll makes you want to have sex.
1: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it very much reminded me of sort of I guess you of, of my whatever contact I had with purity culture right uh, growing violent up.
0: Violent video games.
1: It, it, it totally yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. There is a way in which listening to uh, uh whatever is playing on the fm radio is going to make you sort of a a bad person um because it will sort of uh like i don't know put bring sin into your body and then you have nothing yep. to output other than more sin right and so yeah uh, it very did it very much does feel that way
2: and and as as with those arguments today the, i i have really mixed thoughts on that i mean there there are albums that i won't play with my 5 year old in the room yeah Right. Because I I don't want them quoting those lyrics and I don't even want them asking me questions about those lyrics at this point. (laughs) Uh, So, you know, who's who's going to say that that's 100 percent wrong? no uh, Plato gets into it's it's not just the words it's also the the rhythm and the meter and the and the beat and then we're really into you know the 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 beat of rock and roll is inherently <laughs> sexual. yeah, right? I mean, yeah. We're, we're really into the deep 60s stuff yeah uh,
1: when they used to call it jungle music or something jungle
2: music yeah right right which was uh, I guess uh, when, not even uh, vaguely
1: racist right that was just overtly racist <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah yeah it's not
2: vague. <laughs> Uh, well, I mean, I, I'm. I guess all of us are probably past that generation. When I was growing up, it was rap music. Yeah, uh, that was yeah. sort of the target. Um, was uh, uh, this this music that it's it's just about beating on women and swearing and killing people and doing drugs, uh, and uh, and uh, uh, which I never listened to it growing up. And then I went and listened to it. And I'm like, you know, there is a lot of that there, uh, but <laughs> you, know, said, you know, maybe that's not all it's about. Um,
0: yeah. Like the Godfather movies.
2: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly.
0: That's not all it's about. Yeah.
2: It's, you know, it's it's not not about that. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, what did you think about?
0: Um, he he doesn't want them reading or reciting, especially speeches. Like he doesn't have he doesn't have a problem with narration. You know, tell a story in which, you know, and then you know, so and so cried. But dramatically reciting the speech of mourning, um, mourning over fallen comrades, this is something he doesn't want them seeing modeled in, in speech and in poetry, and uh, laughter, moments of laughter. And as I'm looking at this bit, I, I keep thinking of all the sorts of things that I say to justify engagement with the humanities right and age-old poetry to my students which is humans have been humans for a very very long time and we tend to be interested in the same things and let's look at the sorrow of achilles and plato's like no 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 let's not look at the sorrow of achilles because crying
2: is bad y'all well crying is bad when when you're not the one who's sad Right, it's it's bad when it, when, it's in, when it's an when it's affectation. Uh, so the uh, again, okay. maybe maybe I'm misreading this, but my my understanding was his problem isn't that you're laughing when you're reciting something because it's funny. The problem is you're laughing because that's where you're supposed to laugh, even if you don't think it's funny. Uh, we we want guardians who are to use that awful modern buzzword. Uh, we want guardians who are authentic. Right, So you know when they're laughing, they actually think it's funny, or you know when they're crying, they're actually sad. Uh, and recitation teaches you how to sort of put on the, the mask of the actor. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and which, of course, who wouldn't like to know, hey, when this politician uh, is saying something in public, he actually means it. Right? We, we want a class of leader, a leadership class that we can trust to genuinely be saying what they think, rather than doing what's socially expected, because that's what you should be doing.
1: But uh, like two things though, doesn't he say at one point, um, and I've, I can't find my, I was reading it on my iPad, so it's hard to um, navigate, but, um, that he doesn't want sort of the people who are really in charge to laugh. Like laughter is sort of unbecoming of people in leadership, right? Um, at some point, right? So there is that, Mm. but also with regard to the idea of authenticity, um, leaders are supposed to lie to maintain order right um yeah like, <laughs> it's so, so weird it's such, so for something that's so like invested in the eternal truth of of you know you know when imitating imitating the, the ideal forms mm-hmm. um to have that built on intentional lying to maintain the truth i just find it to be like uh there's such a tension there that i i'm unsatisfied with plato's uh like resolution to that
2: so this is this is the noble noble lie, the myth of the metals you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, 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 yeah. So my my translation has a long footnote about how this isn't really a lie. Oh, it's not... <laughs> oh. it's
1: what the what the definition of is is. Is that what we're getting? Yeah, into? yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> okay. uh, so, I mean, If you want to go there, I'm, I'm, I can talk about that. I'm not saying I'm sold on it, but I I do think there is something to this. Yeah. Uh, I'd
0: love to hear let's, it. <laughs> let's, work up, let's work up to it because yeah. the, okay. he, he gets to that myth after he says all this other stuff about the shape of their education. Yeah. Right? right. And who they are and what they're for. And then he gives us this this myth of metals that then in, that then instructs them to reimagine that whole process of education they actually just went through. Right.
2: Um, yeah. Yeah.
0: Well,
1: but, can I say well, like one other thing about the – sort of the narration versus like mimesis right the the, yeah um there's sort of two i mean he talks about basically three forms of telling a story you have a narrator who's sort of always Mm -hmm. the narrator in telling the story and then there's the person imitating the people in the story and then you have a mix of the two right and there's like proper Mm -hmm. proportions right and so um i i actually the listeners are unfamiliar with me. Like, I'm like a bear of very little brain, right? And and I and I um, <laughs> way too often go to uh, pop culture. Like, I realize this. But this very much reminded me of... Now, now we're not talking about evangelicals, but sort of liberal responses to the Joker movie. Um, when the Joker movie came out, a lot of the people that were against the concept of that movie without even seeing it, um, I think were complaining about enacting the joker from the joker's perspective right and and there was something damaging to society about seeing things from his perspective right and they were really making i think a platonic um argument (laughs) like a platonic republican argument um about the danger of of representing that that kind of um position um in for the for the sanctity yeah. of the society right now and right. I think they didn't actually watch the movie but um, but
0: that's um, but I think that that's uh, th- that's where my mind went there and I thought yeah. I think it's very interesting because God forbid that someone you know see life from the perspective of this you know the battered and marginalized person to see how they become who they are like yeah. that would be awful if we happen to sympathize with that guy right which is you troubling, know. right? <laughs> yeah.
1: And it very much felt like something yeah. Plato would argue in this book. Uh, and, and I, um, it's remarkable to me how yeah. like fresh
0: this book feels in some ways. Yeah. yeah. And that's different from Taxi Driver in what way. Yeah. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: Although, to be fair, I don't know that Plato would think people should be watching Taxi Driver either. <laughs> no, no, exactly. I
0: think you're right, yeah. Well, yeah, I just saw you mentioning Scorsese on Twitter. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, I was just like, I had that on the brain. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, let's do the
1: Scorsese with it and revisit oh. the Christian Humanist podcast about Taxi Driver. It was pretty awesome. So.
0: Well, that was, oh gosh, that was the trip. But, but we, but yeah, we're not talking about talking about Scorsese except as is relevant. Um, <laughs> nice. So let's get to. I guess really the 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 meat of this education where he he starts talking about um, music and gymnastics. Uh, music, what kind of music and what kind of what is it what is this thing that he's calling gymnastics? Because I'm pretty sure what he's interested in in terms of music is not exactly the same as like, okay, give you know, we're gonna send our guardians <laughs> off to clarinet lessons. <laughs> 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 right, right, and gymnastics is not like you know. Okay, guys, here's your parallel bars, or whatever, you know. So, uh, what, what is he? What, uh, what do you think he's talking about in that moment? What might it be more like in our moment? I was reminded in that
1: part of it of, I guess, in in a way, the. The cultural liturgy argument that James K.A. Smith is always making um, about the yeah. way in which just sort of our habits become internalized liturgical practices that aim us towards whatever we're defining as the good. Right. And, and, and yeah. I think that the the kinds of rhythms that we listen to, the uh, the the kinds the styles of, of music um, and uh, and the physical activities. Are all meant to be kind of disciplinary uh in that way to kind of shape people from birth really um into the um uh the representative of the ideal state that plato or that uh, socrates excuse me is um uh is kind of envisioning here
2: Yeah. yeah i i completely agree with that i i think it's uh again it's the the music that we have to make sure it's the right kind of music shaping children in education. Uh, and, and again, on one level, who's, who is ever going to disagree with that? right? Mm-hmm. If, if, if there is music that makes you worse by listening to it, we shouldn't be playing it in the primary schools. Mm-hmm. And if there's a kind of music that makes you better by listening to it, we should be playing that in the primary schools. We might argue about what that is. Uh, mm-hmm. And Plato certainly has thoughts about all of this technical Greek stuff that I don't understand. Yeah, uh, yeah. Right? So I'm, I'm, I'm willing to say, okay, fine, Plato has correctly analyzed what form of Greek music they should have been listening to and move on, because that doesn't help us figure out for our, for ours. Uh, I would imagine today you'd have people arguing kind of classical music versus modern music, mm-hmm. right? Uh, uh, they should be learning Bach and Beethoven and Mozart and all of that and not be listening to, uh, you know, I don't know, whoever the, the contemporary people are. Kanye is the only one that comes to mind because he's been in the news lately, but um, <laughs> so uh,
1: uh, billy eilish let's um, oh, yeah, i have a teenager um, so i know some names now so,
2: uh, Yeah. I think uh, who was who's was the one on saturday night live last night uh lizzo uh was the, oh. uh which is the first time i'd ever heard that name but uh, <laughs> there, there we go um nice. so, so yeah I would, I would say that's kind of the music side and then uh physical physical education you know uh, uh for those of us who are are uh, uh not physically fit Plato points out that's a moral failing rather than just a physical one and he's not wrong uh, again that's uh, uh, with 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 some exceptions out there uh, there those of us who prefer donuts to running uh, that's uh, that's that's a that's an internal failing that can be at least offset by education and probably should be
0: it's uh, a vicious preference
2: yes it, well it is it is um,
0: yep. Yep. so uh, is he just saying, the kids need band and P E <laughs> is this the first version of the play Mozart to toddlers to make them, you know, <laughs> baby, you baby, know, Mozart. <laughs> Like, like, I, you know, is this, yeah, I, I, it's just really interesting to me to see, you know, what, what things in our own culture seem to be partaking in this argument in some level. I, I kind of feel like,
1: the way we do it now is more sort of and uh and sort of okay. they, th- we right. think you're going <laughs> to correctly wire the, the physiology of the brain by listening to Mozart in the crib or something. Um, and I think <laughs> Plato, I mean, wouldn't have a concept of that, right? But yeah. um, so the way he's approaching it is um, is more along the lines of kind of I, I, the 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 shaping of desires right and, and the imagination yeah. right and, and mm-hmm. so I think that honestly I, I think that's pro I probably still side with that being more important than the neuroscience honestly mm-hmm. um, but uh, sure. but yeah no I think that I think that would be the one difference but I think you're right in our own way mm-hmm. we are we do have this platon I mean I think even if you think about Thomas Jefferson's Bible for example I mean he's literally doing what Plato argues you do with Homer right you you cut out the verses you don't like right <laughs> and uh, and yeah. uh, and and um because those are somehow detrimental to the modern mind in in Jefferson's uh in Jefferson's kind of deistic view of things right like enlightenment deistic view of things and so yeah. um um Plato in the same way wants to kind of revise the text to make them suitable for this project, this, uh, this kind of, uh, utopian project. I keep saying yeah, Plato but, when I mean Socrates, but yeah. <laughs> and,
2: and, and I mean, he's again, he's, I think he's right. Uh, even if I don't like that he's right. Um, <laughs> so, so to, to stick with our modern example, right? I, I'm, I'm assuming that none of us are going to disagree that it's a good thing, uh, even a morally good thing to be the sort of person who can listen to, appreciate, and to some extent understand Mozart right uh uh, yeah i am not such a person but i i can admit that yeah that that is the uh the the sort of thing i would i would always rather listen to kanye than mozart uh (laughs) but but that and that's a question of shaping right it's a question of that's that's not the kind of music i grew up listening to it's not the kind of music i'm used to i don't have the tastes i i've not been shaped into the sort of person who can do that uh well well shouldn't we be shaping our children in that way right shouldn't we be trying to educate them uh, and this is, this is the, one of those perpetual problems in, in education, uh, which, uh, I, I love this, if I can steal from science fiction for a minute, uh, in the, uh, kind of late fifties, sixties and early seventies, uh, science fiction was obsessed with how to raise a generation of people who are like the world war II generation, right? Mm. That tough and yeah. that virtuous, uh, when you're not in the middle of a Great Depression and when you're not having to fight a world war, right? How do you get those people? Yeah. Uh, and uh, what, what do you do? Uh, uh, how, do you, how do you shape your children in that way? And I, I, I think that's kind of what Plato is doing, right? How do, we, yeah. how do we have a generation of tough, virtuous leaders when that's not what the times are?
0: Yeah.
2: And education is the tool in your, in your arsenal to do that. Yeah.
1: But the, and
2: then it's more
1: like indoctrination. I don't think this is education in any yeah. sense that we would use that term. This is this is sort of like indoctrination. And 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 I don't know that. I guess what's missing because he's ultimately is it in Book Ten that he actually calls for the poets to be expelled, right? Um, right. Like I said, yeah. it's been many years since I read this. I, I read this a lot for my master's thesis, um, and um, and then. I reread this (laughs) for the show, Uh, but, uh, uh, but, and so ultimately he wants to like, just kind of put the, pull the blinders down on aspects of the full human experience that doesn't fit with the ideal of the Republic. Right. And so I don't think that like willful ignorance is necessarily correct, right? And so, like, by excising the negative traits from the gods, right, you're also, by extension, excising the negative traits in human beings, right? Because the gods are sort of just kind of manifestations of our own natures. And and so I think that when we have um, a generation unwilling to look at the truth of reality right and this is where aristotle i think provides a a useful correction to plato later on Um, i think you have not a a true kind of education but you just sort of have like programming robots going on and um
2: but i mean i I think it it it, it's helpful if we think about this in terms of sin right because that that is the uh that yeah. is the concept that Plato is struggling with, and and hopefully none of us as Christians would ever say, "Well, you you really need to go out and kind of fling yourself into sin so you get the full human experience." Uh, and you know, our 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 kids, they uh, they they do need to to really get sin. So let's let's start them on the booze and drugs now, <laughs> uh, yeah. and uh, so I mean, that they can they can know, yeah. right?
0: I mean, he does seem to suggest that after their education, you turn these guardians loose into a kind of rum Yeah. And, and the ones that manage to get through the time of temptation intact, they're the ones that you entrust with it. Um, hmm. you know, so, so there is this, uh, there is this testing of character that, that, that happens. Um, I, I'm thinking hmm. thinking about the, the music and the, and the gymnastic. It's not just that he wants them to appreciate music. Sure, and enjoy and 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 be physically fit, but the the he wants them to actually be musicians, right? And actually be athletes
2: to so to internalize those virtues. Right? Yes,
0: he he wants the the disciplines that the disciplines that make a musician and the disciplines that make an athlete happening to the same person, because the musician is the person who is. Soft and sensitive and aware and capable of he thinks philosophical contemplation Whereas the athlete is hard and strong and decisive and capable of of Resolute action But if you're just the one if you're just the athlete you can become a brute (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) and if and if you're just the musician you can become an indecisive contemplative softy. Yeah, and he wants them to be able to do both. So, does he really want jock humanities majors? Is 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 that the kind of thing that he's thinking of? It's almost like he's putting forth like,
1: um, like an ideal version of the liberal arts, right? The the kind of holistic yeah. uh, training of sure. the liberal arts, right? And so, yeah, I, I agree. That's all I have to say. I'm yeah. just gonna, that's a transition to hand it back over to Coyle.
0: Yeah. Oh no, I agree too. I've had, I haven't had a lot of students like this, but I have had a few. I don't know if you all have had this experience, but working in the colleges that you do, yeah. Um, uh, I had one of my advisees in the English major was she was the captain of the women's basketball team. She was a very good, very disciplined basketball player who was also a very good and very disciplined English major. And also was involved in drama, mm. but it was at, at a very small college where there's not really enough students for all of these things to happen without there being overlap. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. And so it was not uncommon for, um, a pitcher from the baseball team to be in the jazz band and playing Hamlet. Mm. Um, and so I, I don't see as much of, I don't see quite as much of that where I am now. It's a bigger school. People find more of their place in the one niche that brought them. But I mean, have y'all encountered those, you know, this those students who somehow managed to combine in themselves what I've never managed to do.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, certainly. And, and uh, it's, it, it, it is, it is great when it happens, right? Uh, I, I don't tell them that cause I don't want to divide them up that way. But, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I certainly have had usually female students, but occasionally male students who are both athletes and excellent students, uh, whether they're in you know politics or in one of the other humanities majors, uh, and, and occasionally even in the non-humanities majors. So, although I think uh, you start to run into time issues when you get outside of the humanities too far. Yeah. Um, Oh, or some humanities majors take so much time that you can't do both. Uh, but honestly, we all teach college, so by the time they get here, I mean the damage is done, right? The uh, <laughs> uh, if you're not already that when you get to us, you're not going to become that while you're in college.
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, um. Yeah.
1: I guess that's probably true overall. I, I'd like to think where right, my experience pushes against that a little bit. We One, I think, quirk of our program, of our Gen Ed program, is that everyone's required to take an upper-level English class. Um, sure. And so not just a intro to lit, but like a sort of special topics kind of thing. Um, yeah. And so, like, for example, this last semester, I taught the Philip Roth class that I developed. And, and I had no idea how that was going to go over with... You know, a guy three generations older than them, at least, um, and uh, f- from the coast and Jewish, right? And all these Central Pennsylvania kids, right. and uh, they really did like like I think were surprised themselves at how much they um, connected with that those stories, and and so I, I do think that there's a way in which. Um, it's still possible <laughs> at yeah. our level to to uh, to to break into um, prefabricated molds. I think, as you're it, saying, yeah. but you're largely right. Um, but I, I just I'm I'm the ever optimist. I think about Well, and, and you <laughs> don't make
2: your you don't make your English major sign up for track or anything like that. I assume
1: no, no, and wow. we actually don't have many athletes. Our percentage of athletes mm-hmm. is quite low on this campus, and so yeah.
2: I I really do appreciate. I think it's is it the Naval Academy that. Uh, that requires all of their students to uh to do a sport mm. so it can be something intramural like it can be just uh just within the unit within the college but uh i actually think that's a great model i wish more schools would do that like you you must play a sport all four years while you're here it doesn't have to be the same sport you can switch it around it can be just for fun in the intramural leagues but some kind of athletic activity every semester uh, i wish i'd done more of that when i was an under i did some but I, I wish i'd done more of it uh
0: I've reached the point in my life where I can I can see where I had those opportunities and did not take them yeah. and can and can perceive the ways in which I am a worse person for it. Mm-hmm. Um, I can see that, that about you, too. I'm just kidding.
1: <laughs> I'm totally getting totally David. Confirming my
0: self-knowledge. <laughs> uh, but th- there are uh, there are levels of discipline. There are levels of kind of embracing the constructive pain (laughs) (laughs) that uh, I, I simply have never internalized um, uh, the ways of, you know, how do you stay inside of an activity where it is competitive and you are losing, but you have to continue until the end and not punch anyone. Mm. Um, That is something that our society needs, frankly, I, you know, how would it, you know, it's just old fashioned sportsmanship. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, you, you know, a lot of times I think we, we, we look at athletics as, as, as a humanities guy, I look at athletics as, oh, the barbarism. Um, but there's another side of it, which is you're supposed to compete. Someone wins, someone loses, you play to the end you do it again next week and you don't start a fight and like that most basically is kind of what you need in a cohesive you know <laughs> de- democratic society <laughs> yeah I, you're
1: right i i guess what i'm wondering is like why it doesn't work in our society right because i think very often the the fixation yeah. on sports is part of what contributes to what you're talking about—that divisiveness. I mean, just the nature yeah. of sports as it's played in America is—you arbitrarily start hating people from another town because of competing against them in sports, <laughs> right? Um, it's
2: not arbitrary, Danny. Yeah,
1: it's deserved. <laughs> That's my point. Like, so I'm from <laughs> Cleveland, and I happen to live amongst all the Steeler philistines over here right in um in uh in central <laughs> Pennsylvania and um and, and so when the whole helmet smashing thing happened I, I just mm-hmm. kind of stepped back because I haven't really followed football very closely at all in the last several years but I still would rather the Browns win these games right and so but I, I stepped back I'm like if everybody was born in a different city you would feel exactly the opposite of what you feel or what was right or wrong in that situation right um and, and so like I do feel like the way sports is actually practiced leads to the kind of like barbarism that you're talking about. And I wonder about the possibilities of what Plato or Socrates is prescribing here as maybe the remedy for that giving. Yeah. (laughs) I theoretically, it should give you that kind of other view. But at the same time, the form of art that he wants you to consume doesn't want to give voice, like empathetic voice to the other, right? Um, right. And yeah. so I don't know yeah. if his version of the liberal arts would actually work. Um, because I think it would <laughs> – I think it just almost like works with the sports to create sort of um, elitism and, and, and nationalism or whatever you want to call it.
0: Um,
2: cool. well, and I, I don't even know if he's going that far into – I mean, there, there's there's going to be some of that, right, with the the competitive athletic stuff. But even just the the basic, the discipline to run, you know, one or two more laps than you feel like you can. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Even even that is is something that's lacking in people who don't. Yeah. Uh, people who don't do the athletic stuff. Right. That that internal self discipline to uh, to push yourself physically uh, is is something that anyone can uh, theoretically can do, uh, but. Most people and especially those people who are the music people right the, the humanities people that Plato's talking about uh, we're the ones who tend not to uh, just as sort of stereotypically the, the people who lean towards the athletics tend not to do that uh, on the uh, the music and humanities sides of things. Uh, and and I, I get wanting both. I wish I had both. I, I wish I were better at that self-discipline of exercise or, or athletics or whatever. Right? Uh, it doesn't it doesn't have to be competitive athletics. Like it really could be just you running laps by yourself, uh, as as god awful as that is. Uh, it it could be that. Um, <laughs> I, I know we have runners who uh, who podcast on the network and uh, they are insane. Uh, I, I I am seriously concerned about like mental damage with with those people. And you can tell Ed I said that. Uh, well, yeah, we got yeah. Jay
1: and Meg. Von Bergen. Yeah, we've got the, the, um, the
2: human body is not designed to run 27 miles. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And,
1: and I, I, your point about, so is that discipline transferable to other walks? I think play, play like Socrates is suggesting that these things work in tandem and one activity prepares the person for yeah. the yeah. others. Right.
2: right. Um, we're, we're whole people. right? We're, we're yeah. body and both. I mean, it's, it's sort of the, the Christian view too. Yeah.
1: But we've all had athletes who we know spend extra hours on the practice field, but won't write the paper um, in the way they, they won't spend. They won't go to the writing center for the paper, right? Um, yeah. And so that that discipline in practice
0: doesn't get transferred. Um, it's I, a, I, yeah, I think it's not an automatic transfer. Yeah, right. right. I, I think I think it's it's got to be something. I have had some limited success with this, but you know the way to say it is all every athlete has a space in their head where coach sits <laughs> and if professor can in some sense get purchase in the coach space, mm. the attitude changes. And I have, I have seen that happen with athletes that I've had in class in, in class before is to say, think about this in the way that you think about your sport. Think about working hard in this, in the way that, you know, making that explicit and, but it really does take buy-in the 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 difference with the athlete is that they've actually seen in their experience that they hit a wall and they were disciplined and they embraced the drill and they did what they were told by coach and they got over the wall right. but but, but most of them have not seen it um in in the academic subjects and, uh, so they think that wall is forever and what i would I think you're right. And I tried to do the same
1: thing and I've had similar experiences when I even adopt sporting language, right. To describe things yeah. like taking on, like redefining my role a little bit as coach. Um, but even that, according to like, if we're now going back to Plato here um, that you're acknowledging then that the athletic identity is the central identity and you're trying to yeah. um, cater to that. And I think Plato would not want that either. Like he wants the the, the athletic identity to be the, the to be uh, whatever support system for or a pre- preparation system for that central identity as the yeah. the citizen of the republic, the guardian of the republic. In this case, right? Mm-hmm.
2: Well, and I, I, again, I think it's it is the idea that virtue should cover your whole life. Right. Both both your mental life and your physical life. Uh, and there's the practical necessity. Again, these guys are soldiers right there. Yeah. They're, so, you you know, you do need to be able to hold your shield and throw your spear or, or jab with and, your spear and, uh, and, and, <laughs> and and run and and run and push harder than the other side and do all of those things, too. So there is the practical necessity. But again, Plato wants to make sure that that that, too, is is under the rule of virtue. Mm hmm. Uh, both yeah. both our mental life and our physical life. Um, and yeah, I agree with you guys. I mean, we, we certainly see that that wall between those two, uh, whether in our own lives or in the lives of our students. Um, my way of getting over that, by the way, is I, I've just gotten permission from all of the coaches on campus to make my students run laps around the building if they uh, uh, act out in class. So uh, I haven't actually had to do it yet, but usually the threat of that is uh, is sufficient.
1: Uh, can you take pictures but, um, when that happens? I, like, if, yeah.
2: if it does happen, it's usually if your phone goes off and you're an athlete. I have permission to make you run laps. Uh, so do I you, it, it, do. You wear a whistle? Oh, I will. If, if, if that's a good idea. Uh, if, if this ever actually happens, I will, I might have to do that. Um, <laughs> sorry, that that derailed Excellent. the, uh, the Plato. Um
0: No, no. I, I I think I mean recognizing that Plato's all along. He's got this kind of holistic vision. um... That uh, at least his dialogue partners are privy to, even if the guardians aren't privy to all of it, um, there's stuff that he's concealing from them. Um, but there's still there's still this this larger vision that this is part of that our culture is just not very good at, um, putting all putting all of the different ways in which we encourage the individual to develop in relationship to each other. Um, but instead, you know, we kind of encourage people to say, Pick that. Pick the one niche that is going to be your niche, and your identity is there, and everything else is something that's imposed upon you, or you're just dabbling in. The real essential you is in that corner, right? Um, and that feels, you know, I, I, I think that's, I think that's ultimately dangerous.
1: But doesn't isn't am I misremembering the the whole of the Republic? But doesn't Socrates in this dialogue actually put people into niches right um i mean <laughs> yeah am okay. i wrong i mean he, he actually Maybe conscribes I people into I, I mean i think you're right i think it's another sort of bizarre paradox about the about plato's republic um is, is that i think in in the the training of the holistic person is for the purpose of keeping them happy in their niche in their cast
2: well it, it is but it's uh the even the people in their in their place in society are still whole people. Yeah. Right. So, and I, I guess maybe we're 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 moving towards the the myth of the metals, right? Because this is this is yeah. not what that's all about.
0: Well, let's uh, just move there.
2: <laughs> yeah. Sorry, do we want to go over that before we talk about it?
0: Um, it, just kind of setting it up. I, I, something that I think helps helps to frame the myth of the metals. One. Um, The rulers get to lie. No one else does. (laughs) Um, And this is all fitting into his notion that uh, the stories that shape um, imagination and character must be carefully controlled by the rulers um, so that you might not be told a true story if that true story contains a bad example. But you might also be told a false story if that false story will result in the right kind of mimesis the right kind of imitation um, and all of this is taking place in Republic where he started want, trying to define justice and then said, well I think we can see justice easier if we imagine this whole big city and then translate from the from the analogy of the city into justice in the individual soul and then he imagines this whole city is basically one giant metaphor. Mm. Um, so that, that idea that we would construct stories that don't necessarily have any tie to fact in order to construct the soul rightly that we might tell an a factually untrue story in order to make a rightly oriented soul is something that he's actually been doing from book one.
2: <laughs> right. <laughs> well, and I, I'm not sure that that's the part that's the lie, right. Uh, or, or okay. the myth or whatever we're going we're to call it, because clearly he believes people are different, right. It, uh, by, by nature, people yeah. are different. Um, I guess my, maybe I'm misreading this. My understanding is the, uh, the, the myth part is the, uh, the gods have made you this, like this is an intentional construct from the gods, right? Some people are gold. Some people are silver. Some people yeah. are bronze. Yeah. That's the part that we're lying about. Uh, and, and it's not even a conspiracy in that. Uh, it's not a conspiracy in the sense that the leaders are using this to oppress people because even the leaders of society believe this. Uh, so it's, it's uh, I guess it's a conspiracy of the original founders of the society, right? The original tellers of the myth. Mm. Uh, but, It's no longer a conspiracy once the society is is operational, if it were ever to be, you know, a real world society. Uh, But I think. uh, uh, Yeah, I I think phrasing it that way, it's I I understand why my translator wants to say, look, this isn't actually a lie. Uh, Instead, it's it's a it's an interpretation of the real world differences between people and why those matter and what social role they should play, uh, especially in terms of virtue. Uh, because I mean that's that's really uh, I think that's really what Plato's getting at, uh, and I, I think we see this especially in our culture where where culture tells us kind of the our, our own myth, uh, which is uh, on on the one hand, uh, you can do anything you want, right? L- uh, pursue your dreams, uh, and then on the other hand, live fully up to your potential. Uh, Plato's going to want to come along and say, well, those things might actually be contradictory. Right. Your, your potential and your dreams may be two very different things. You need to recognize your own nature. You need to recognize that maybe you're not president or CEO material. Uh, maybe you should be happy working retail. Uh, maybe you should be happy uh, you know, doing manual labor. Maybe you should be happy doing whatever, whatever, whatever thing it is uh and once you realize that then then you can actually live virtuously right then you can harmonize your physical uh, body and your your sort of mental life uh then you can live uh uh, to your fullest potential as you actually are uh rather than according to whatever fantasies you're you're reading about in homer or Hesiod or or whatever um hopefully that makes it a little better
1: (laughs) yeah but it it does. I mean, I think that's a great way of, I think, getting it his intent. Um, but I think, again, that intent, I mean, you just basically, like, denied the possibility of human development or of individual development, right? Um, and, and so, and again,
2: maybe this you can, is the, You can always the develop modern, in virtue. Yeah. But if, if you are the sort of person, and I, I think about family members I have who like I have family members that are sort of physically and, and mentally. And, and I don't mean this negatively because uh, morally they're far better people than I am, but like physically and mentally manual labor is, is what they are good at and kind of what they are designed for. Uh, And that, that doesn't mean that they are morally worse people than those of us who don't do manual labor for, for a living. Right. Uh, uh, it does mean that, uh, uh that if they were to try to stop doing that and you know take over my job as a college professor it's going to be a train wreck for everyone involved right if we were to switch positions tomorrow uh I mean, my gosh, what what a, what a catastrophe for anyone who relies on my manual labor.
1: But if you switch positions in 15 years, like with preparatory stages between, you know what I mean? Um, sure, sure. Like I don't know, and maybe I'm just taking this too personally because I I have no business being a college professor. <laughs> I I um, was born to hillbilly immigrants in Cleveland, right? And um and you know and my. I worked in factories and cause I bombed out of college. Right. But because of the, whatever random circumstances of my life, I stumbled into academia. Um, and, and I do feel like I am made for the specifically the position I hold at this particular school. Right. Um, um, but that wouldn't have been possible in Plato's, you know, uh, organization of people, right? Uh, like I would have already been identified yeah. as the guy at the rubber mill, right? And um, well,
2: no, may- maybe though. Maybe, maybe you would have been identified as the academic, and the stumbling wouldn't have happened if you had been properly identified through this early education system that Plato's laying out. If you know, if it works the way it's supposed to. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's, right. uh, that's possible.
0: Is it something like what they do? Oh gosh, is it? I know they do something like this in Japan. Is it Germany where they do it as well? Where very, very early on, students are sort of channeled into into tracks.
2: I think that... most Western nations do that, except for us. France like, yeah. who, has a very yeah. Really do whatever you want. We're we're the ones who really lie. Yeah. Right.
1: There's a test that kids take in France before they go to college that determines the kind of college and therefore the kind of life they will have. Um, we we have friends um, that have told us about this process, and so yeah, yeah tons of pressure.
0: I mean, I, I guess you know to what degree is the myths we the myths we live by in the U.S. shaping how we feel about the myth that Plato tells? Because it seems as if most other countries. <laughs> Do it more or less the way Plato does. Um but I also don't know would I be where I was if I was in France and had had to take that test when I was, I don't know, ten or fifteen right. or whenever it is. You know? It's it's that it's that bizarre counterfactual. Would I have a PhD? Yeah.
2: <laughs> well, and, and, uh, well and 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 I mean sort of the positive side of this is we can say, look, here you have the opportunity to figure this out for yourself, right? Uh, it, it's not the it's not yeah. the government telling you. You you have the chance to reflect on your own nature, uh, and and make decisions accordingly.
1: And we have a more complicated higher ed system too, and with private sure. colleges and 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 my private Sisters of Mercy College in Central Pennsylvania particularly serves. People who are like me, right? Um, at that, when I was their age, um, sure. and so like that's why my stumbling earlier on, I think, did not prepare me to teach at either of your schools, or certainly at an Ivy League, um, but at a school exactly like the one I'm at, <laughs> right? Because
0: of my, um, I, I have I a mean, very close relationship yeah. with those students. Well, the school where I'm at, I mean, uh, better than half of the school is first generation college students. But, very close. Um, then. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no,
2: um, we're, same, same here.
0: Yeah. I, and you know, we're not, it's, you know, it's not sort of rural central Pennsylvania, but it is emphatically blue collar. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, m- you know, many, many of our students are, uh, first generation college students and they're often first or second generation, um, uh, immigrants for first, first second generation, uh, American citizens, yeah, sure. um, you know, war, you know, uh, their first language is, uh, is Spanish or Mandarin or Vietnamese or French. Cause they're from, you know, one of the Francophone, uh, countries of Africa, uh, or fill in the blank, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I, I, I teach at a, um, I'm, I'm sure there's a, pr- a better term for this, but uh, but I teach at a minority majority school.
1: Yeah, right.
0: The majority of our student population is comes from demographics that in the United States overall are minorities, and I would have a really hard time sharing this vision of Plato with those students because I think they would probably internalize it exactly the way um, that you're saying danny and and but i don't I don't think that the world that they're in has necessarily given them the shake the fair shake that yeah. <laughs> um, that, that would have you know that would have gotten them you know where they're at in a more prescriptive
2: form yeah well and, and I, I I mean again i th- I think this is such a liberating right approach. Like, uh, I, I guess I'm the Plato defender on this one, right? It, it's, yeah. it's, it's not a bad thing for someone to say, you know, uh, maybe I'm not really an artistic soul, right? Uh, I, I should, I should still shape that part of myself, <laughs> but maybe, maybe manual labor is, is more the, the direction I should, I should be inclining, uh, or to say, Hey, you know, my, my parents, as, as it sounds like, uh, Danny and I, and I, I don't know if this applies to you too. Uh, Grew up working class right Uh, uh, still working class. Uh, My my parents are still uh, you know dirt farmers in Montana Uh, But with the the chance to say maybe this isn't the track for me, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe this isn't the direction I ought to be going Uh, there's a uh, There's a there's a way to look at our American setting as a as a place for Plato's idea that your your metal isn't genetically determined Right, there's there's a way that that's more true here than it is anywhere else because it's it's not your parents that decide that, yeah. uh, though of course there's always circumstances and culture and education and background and and uh, assumptions society makes all of those things come into play too. Yeah. Uh, so yeah uh, it's interesting.
1: I was just having a conversation with my colleague here, Nathan McGee, who's been on my show a couple of times about the Star Wars fracas, um, the debate between <laughs> Last Jedi people and everybody else. Right. And so um, the um, uh, and, and so he was talking about the Jedi order as being this sort of like flawed thing that needed to be destroyed by what happens in The Last Jedi. <laughs> and and I'm like, now that I, we're talking about this, it actually feels very much like a, a of thought experiment, the the Jedi Order as imagined in those prequels, right? It, it almost right. seems like a Middle thought theory, experiment, sorry. yeah, yeah, of the of Plato's Republic, right? I mean, you're identifying the guardians and uh, and they have no property, um, that they, they don't, uh, you know what I'm saying? That th- all the things uh-huh. that that. Uh, um, that Plato is talking about with these people. They're very privileged on one level. They're very athletic, very knowledgeable on one level. Um, they're in charge of everything, but don't own anything. Right. And, and so I, I think it's a, a very interesting, uh, it sheds a new light on that stupid prequel trilogy for me.
2: <laughs> <n-> <laughs> nice. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I went to Harry Potter, I guess, instead of star Wars, but same kind of thing, right. I, either you're a muggle or you're not. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, Uh, there's a, uh, it's, it's more obvious as to who's who, but you, you can, you can be more or less virtuous within your nature, right? You can be a more or less virtuous muggle. You can be a more or less virtuous wizard, but you, you can't switch from one to the other. Uh, and, and again, it would be a disaster for them to try to do that. Uh, so instead let's, let's recognize the reality, uh, and, and let's set up a society where that reality is, is properly accounted for so that we can all maximize our virtue. Uh, and that, that set up the society. That's the part where, where I hesitate. Uh, uh, sounds like I'm, I'm a little more willing to say, yeah, we are all actually different and that's okay. Uh, but once you start saying, well, let's, let's then stratify that into society. That's where I'm like, wait, 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 (laughs) Uh, I don't trust the government that much to actually do the dividing (laughs) up. Uh, You'd be the trade
1: federation in the
2: (laughs) (laughs) robot empire, you know, somewhere in there. Uh, Yeah. I,
0: the 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 idea that if if we focus on the liberating side of saying there are many ways there are many vocations there are many callings that are necessary for society and are rewarding lives if pursued rightly um that is something that I think our culture could learn yeah. from the republic sure um, you know not to say you know, and you get to be a farmer because you're not good enough for anything else isn't what he's saying. He's or, rather saying it. you're the sort of person who is going to in farming find yourself.
2: Yeah, so you'll you'll be a better person, right? You you will have a better life doing this thing that lines up with your nature than yeah. you will if you try to do this other thing that does not.
0: Yeah. I mean, I I sometimes, you know, sort of look at myself and look in, you know, how how I feel about my situation and wonder, you know, would I be, would, you know, might I have been happier in something else? And some of it is capacity, you know, Plato's interested in capacity. But there's also a sense of, you know, what are you, what are you rewarded doing? Um, What, what of these avenues of life um, leads you to feel to know that you are accomplishing, you know, accomplishing something worth doing and that you feel like you've done it, you know, uh, it's, it's one of the, the things that often gets pointed out with people who have jobs that are kind of the endless repetition of a task that is never complete, you know, the male sorter, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like if, uh, you know, that's the sort of job that I have a really hard time you know figuring out where where are you going to fit in this you, you you're you're really going to have to see every letter that you touch as in some way going from this place to that place and you are helping people reach each other <laughs> because if you just see it as a pile an endless pile of paper that's going to be sorted into bins that are never empty um <laughs> well yeah it's and... an active imagination
1: <laughs> yeah and it's <laughs> it's going to be hard to draw a line between serving the republic by finding your true self and being exploited by what the republic needs right you know what i mean sure. and and uh like that's that's a, <laughs> that i don't know how that ever works out in, <laughs> in yeah, any, and in again, any again, i don't
2: trust the government to make that decision nor do uh, i trust
1: although, nor do i trust free markets right i mean sure, i think no, I, I agree with that yeah, too and so yeah i think that that's uh, um yeah exploitation is is what i think is always the trick, I suppose.
2: Right. Well, I also think we shouldn't say, look, I would be miserable as a male sorter. Therefore, there are no people who are fit for that job, right? There, there are no people who can do that and live virtuous lives. I, I wouldn't want to say that either right uh, uh uh and and here's where i think is it this is where marx goes wrong to say that there are these jobs that are inherently dehumanizing I'd say well no there there may be people who that is where they most flourish as human beings is working on the assembly line and maybe it's not marx and maybe it's not me yeah. but
1: i think he's more interested in how they're alienated from sure sure yeah, sure yeah and so uh, yeah but but you're right <laughs> you're not wrong though. yeah
0: yeah I mean, I, I think that you, you talk about the alienation, Danny, that it, it's all part of a larger imagining of how, how does the society work, how does the human flourish inside of it. And unless that larger vision is shared, as long as you're in a society where particular vocations are seen as winning, and everything else is a consolation prize. Yeah,
2: right.
0: Um, even those people who might have been content and found themselves as, you know, I am so proud of being the best plumber in the world. You know, that person might be there, but the whole rest of society has shaped its notions of of reward and uh, and incentive against that person finding they're finding themselves flourishing in that. Yeah. Yeah. And and ironically, with
1: with the exception of the fact that there are prescribed classes in the society, this doesn't look much different than uh, a communist utopian project. Um,
2: Oh, sure. um, It looks very similar
1: with with that one, you know, not in, not non notable (laughs) with that one notable um, exception. Yeah.
2: Although this this is more for I guess people who are doing later books, um, although we do get the introduction of the idea that uh, uh, these these uh, philosopher or guardians right. So now we're we're dividing out into guardians and auxiliaries. Yeah. Uh, so that leadership class at the end of book three gets split. Uh, only the only the very top class lives without private property. Yeah. So every it's it is communist but it's only communist for the people at the top yeah right. uh and uh everyone else uh plato doesn't really get into the economics of the craftsmen and the auxiliaries um but uh uh they're uh uh so it, it's it's a limited communism where only the people in charge have to live in hovels and uh not have wives and children and all of that,
1: hmm. that that's a fascinating thing to think about you're right um to
0: to decouple comfort from power. Yeah.
2: Oh yeah. Yeah yeah yeah. Because it's <laughs> that, corrupting. Absolutely.
0: That is so fascinating.
2: I I think that uh, all of our upper echelon bureaucrats in D.C. should have to live in the same dormitory without air conditioning. <laughs> so.
0: Uh, read a uh, fantasy novel years ago in which. This, this little island uh, government, the way that it worked is nobody wanted to be the prime minister. Nobody wanted to be the prime minister because uh, when they were elected by everyone else and they were put under house guard as soon as they were nominated, um, when they were elected, their all of their property was liquidated and put into the, the government coffers. And... If the economy grew while they were in charge, they received it back with a commensurate rate of interest. If the economy uh, went down while they were in charge, they received it back, reduced by a proportionate amount. So basically, you know, your reward for succeeding was getting your stuff back <laughs> it was kind of like it was, it was it was sort of you know plato's republic with with you know with terms <laughs> with usury terms right <laughs> Usury terms. Yep. oh gosh well is there anything else in this uh i think we've we've basically talked our way to the end of the book um Anything else that we want to point out before we round this out? I feel like we've had a, a, a good hour and, you know, chased all of, of uh, Socrates' rabbits through the bushes <laughs> adequately. Yeah, no,
1: this was a lot of fun. I, I always enjoy talking to you guys, and especially about really interesting things like this. And so,
2: Yeah, yeah this is great.
0: Cool beans. Well, dear listeners, if you've got any feedback on this episode, uh, you can send it to... Uh, uh, the christian humanist at gdmail.com also uh there's a comment section in the show notes for this show core curriculum at our blog christianhumanist.org. where um most of us are are also on twitter i don't know if you're on twitter coil you on twitter no, not a Twitter person.
2: No, <laughs> but no. That, he that's scowls. <laughs> he yeah. scowls at the concert. It's concept. bad enough I'm on Facebook. <laughs> I, uh, I'm on the lesser cesspool. I'm I'm not getting on the greater one.
0: All right. Well, Kristen Humanist uh, is on Facebook. Uh, we also are on Twitter at uh, ch uh, ch podcasts rn. I can't remember. Anyway, we're on there. Um, you're on Twitter, Danny. Yes, I am at Danny P Anderson. Yep. I'm on Twitter. The real grubsy. Anyways, lots of different ways you can get in touch with us. It's uh, a
1: CH, uh, CH radio network
0: is the, C- is, is the podcast. Okay. Yeah. Sweet. At CH radio network. Well, dear listeners, uh, I hope you enjoy this episode and be looking forward to, uh, book four in which, Well, more Republic gets read. Peace out.